thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. This is David Perkins, and we're so glad that you're listening. Hey, if you're a part of our family meeting online or in person, we want to encourage you to get connected at Radiant Church KC across all social media platforms. God is doing something incredible in Kansas City, and we love connecting with you, whether it's through our app or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. Good morning. Good morning. How's everyone doing today? Great, 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 great. Hey, if you served on the Dream Team at Bowl Conference in any capacity, can you stand on your feet? I just want to honor you today. Come on, can you stand on your feet? If you're a greeter, usher, security, merch, creative, anywhere, like, come on, let's give it up for these guys. These are the heroes of Bowl Conference. Thank you, thank you. You guys can go ahead and be seated. Um, and really, I just want to encourage you and say thank you from the bottom of my heart. You're in heaven, you're going to look back and you are going to reap what you've sown this week in a way that is so profound and incredible. There are teenagers who are impacted that you may never on this earth meet. And because of what God did in their lives over the past few days, their entire destinies have been changed. Their families have been changed. We just haven't seen the fruit of it this side of eternity. But thank you so much for the Dream Team, for taking time off work, for staying up late, hanging out with teenagers at all hours. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Um, I just, I love students, and I just... No matter how long it's been since I've done student ministry, I just still love teenagers. So thank you for serving them so well this week. Um, Okay, as Pastor David said, we're in a series called Family. And really the heart or the ethos behind the series is this, is how do we embed healthy culture into our our familial spheres of life? So you've got your nuclear family, you know, moms, dads, kids, aunts, uncles, grandparents, all that. You got that family. There is your church family, Radiant Church or somewhere else. Then you've got your, um, your work family, the people you spend, you know, 40, 50 hours a week with. You've got your small group. You've got your friends. You've got all these different spheres where you do life as a person. And our hope is, is for you to, to give you the kind of the recipe or the ingredients to put into that sphere to make it healthy and vibrant and great. Because if you don't have the right ingredients, it's not going to turn out right. Just like how many of you guys have baked something and you didn't have an ingredient and you're like, you're Googling feverishly, like, what do I do if I don't have eggs? Or what do I do if I don't have flour or this or that? And then you try to find a substitute and it never works right. It never tastes right. You're like, this is awful. This, This isn't what I wanted. This isn't what I set out to do. Well, it's because we didn't use the right ingredients. We didn't get the right results. So over the last several weeks, Pastor David has really been shaping those ingredients for us. Humility, rest, mission, making disciples. And today, as we kind of close out the series, I really want to talk about us becoming a focused family. Because what happens in most families is this, is that we kind of, we drift around through life and we don't have a high degree of intentionality. So my hope is that we can become focused families today. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to jump into Genesis 37. We're really going to be in Genesis 37 all the way through 50. Um, and I promise I'm not reading 
all 23 chapters, so you can set your heart at ease. That's not what we're doing today. We're going to jump around a little bit, uh, but let, let's pray, and then we're going to jump in. So Jesus, I pray that your word that's alive and living would have, it, have its full work in our hearts. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. God, I pray that our, our hearts would have the humility to receive your word today and apply it to our lives. That looking unto you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, we let you have your full work in our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. Amen, amen. So I grew up playing sports in high school. How many high school athletes do we have? You guys, you played sports in high school. Okay, great. Oh, perfect, perfect. This is awesome. You guys are more athletic than the last service, so you're going to feel me better. Um, so in high school, I played basketball all four years. It was so fun. I grew up in Indiana, so if you've ever seen the movie Hoosiers, you know this is like an intense area of the country in regard to basketball. And so this, the summer between my junior and senior year, that's all we did, me and a handful of my friends um, on the team. And we were just, we played basketball seven days a week for hours on end. This is what we did. And if you, um, when I was in high school back in the um, Vince Carter was the rage. Like Vince Carter was just revolutionizing dunking in the NBA and he was just all over the place. So what does every high school athlete want to do? You want to be like Vince Carter. So we spend all of our time working on our dunks and one of my friends, no lie, this is real. He, um, he put the ball, if you remember the dunk contest, he put the ball between his leg and then dunked it, right? And we're like freaking out. This is amazing. This is, and then another one of my buddies literally put his whole arm down the rim. Like this is, right? Like this is like straight out of the dunk contest, put his whole arm in a basketball rim. You've got to be like so high to do that. And all of this, and we were just getting fired up and we were getting pumped up. But you know what? It didn't matter at all because we had lowered the rim. <laughs> and I think that's kind of what we do in life. Instead of rising to the standard and having vision to come up higher, we lower the threshold. And I think when we look at the life of Joseph, it's we get this snapshot throughout his life, these little snapshots as he goes through life of Joseph being a man who had the vision and the focus to not lower his standard, but to rise to meet where his focus was. And why is this, why is this a big deal? Why is where you focus a big deal? You see, your vision or your focus determines your values. What you look at is where you're going. So what, what your vision focuses what you're valuing. Your values determine your time. Your time determines your habits, and your habits determine your future. So there's a thread that goes from what you're focusing on to where you end up. The decisions we make determine the positions we end up in. And I love this story in the book of Genesis because I just, I love how honest the Bible is. The Bible is so transparent in Genesis. As we talk about the focused family in Genesis, you actually get a look and it's kind of like the unfiltered family. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, you could have left some of that out. Because it's so raw and it's so real and you see not just these, these perfect people, but you see the mistakes. You see the messiness that can happen within a family. You see, you see jealousy, selfishness, fighting, deceit. I mean, you see all of it in just, in just Genesis. And in Genesis 37, in the midst of this messiness of Jacob's family, 
we see this young man named Joseph. Now here's a little bit of the backstory. So you have Abraham, who's the father of faith. Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob then has 12 sons who will become the 12 tribes of Israel. So this family lineage, these 12 sons, these 12 brothers are a big deal in, a, in the nation of Israel and in, in the Bible. And Genesis 37, verse 5, we see a snapshot, the beginnings of the story of Joseph. And here we go. And it says, verse 5, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. How many of you guys have brothers? Okay, so you know what Joseph's going through. Okay, just making sure. And then no, verse 6, he said, and he said to him, listen to this dream I had. This is like classic little brother. Verse seven, we were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. All, all the little brothers said amen. Okay, verse eight, his brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Verse nine, then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, as we look at the life of Joseph, there's, there's a trap that we can fall into, and that's thinking that this dream, this, this dream that Joseph had from the Lord is just about his focus in this vision, this dream, is only about in Genesis 42 when his brothers literally do bow before him. So we see the fulfillment of this dream in chapter 42 of Genesis, but there's so much else going on in the life of Joseph to show us that he was a focused and intentional person. Joseph was a person, in my opinion, who had great vision outside of the dream or including the dream, but his vision for his life was not wholly contained to this one moment that we find in Genesis 37. See, the dream focused on a moment, but Joseph lived with broad vision for all of his life. Here's the funny thing about your eyes. Maybe you know this, but your eyes are, are quite literally attached to your brain. So where you put your focus actually doesn't just determine where your eyes go, but it actually determines where your mind goes as well. So when you're looking intently on something, when you're focusing in on something, your mind naturally goes there and you're able to think deeply about that specific thing. But when you broaden your field of vision, when you broaden, you open up the aperture of your eyes like a camera, your thinking actually broadens as well. And you're actually able to take in more information than when you're focusing intently. This is true. When you open your vision, you step back and you widen your aperture, your brain actually is able to process information four times faster than when you're focused in on a narrow object. I think it's really interesting. I think it's, it's very specific and applicable to the life of Joseph because we, both, we see both very narrow vision and very broad vision. 
You know, it's like if I take this scope and I'm, and I'm hanging out and I'm looking through the, through the lens of this scope, I'm looking to the back of the room, I'm looking at the production booth, all these things, I can focus intently on a very small area. But what would happen if I'm, while I'm focusing on a very small area, I actually try to walk to that space? What would happen in about four steps? I'm going to fall off the stage. And then I'm going to trip on kind Paul in the front row. I'm going to trip on him because I'm, I'm, I'm only looking at this very small area and behind everybody, behind the cameras, behind all the things. And then I'm going to trip on a cable or I'm going, to, I'm going to trip on a ramp or something like that. I'm going to end up falling repeatedly on my way to hit the target. But if I do the same thing, I identify my vision. I identify my focus. But then I step back. Am I going to fall? I hope not. Because I'm able to see broadly. But I still have my, my focal point. I still have my orientation point. I'm still able to go toward my target. Even though I spent time focusing on intently to find it, to identify it, to clearly see it. But when I'm moving, I'm looking broadly. I'm able to take more ground. And in your life, in our life, we need both broad and narrow vision for our family spheres to thrive. When you walk without a focused vision, you drift. So if I don't identify that point, if I don't identify and look through the scope and say, here's exactly where I want to head in life. Here's exactly where I believe Jesus has taken me in life. If I don't have that fixed point that I'm looking toward as I walk through life, I'll just drift around to whatever opportunity comes. So I'll, 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 just, I'll just walk through and instead of heading directly back to that target, I'll stop and I'll talk to Chris Ward because I like Chris and I'll spend time with Chris and then all of a sudden I'll go, I'll talk to another Chris, Chris Stein. You know what I mean? We'll just work, I'll just weave my way around but I'll never actually take the ground that I'm trying to take in life. So we have to have both very, very narrow vision. We have to have very specific vision for our life so that we can identify where we want to go and yet we need to be able to see broadly so that we don't fall along the way. And in Genesis, we see this over and over again in Joseph's life. See, Joseph lived by convictions. His relationship with Jesus. Joseph was a man of intense convictions in his life. He didn't allow his life to be determined by his emotions or convenience. Because when you do that, that creates the ceiling for your life. If your ceiling is only what you're going to do, what you feel like doing or what is convenient to do, you will never take ground for the kingdom of God because it is never convenient to stop doing other things to spend time with Jesus. And Joseph was a person who was marked by his walk with the Lord. Now, how do I know that? Because well, in Genesis 39, we get these two different accounts in the life of Joseph. In one chapter, we get two different accounts. So now back it up. Joseph was his father's favorite son. He had a prize coat, all these things. His brothers sell him into slavery in Egypt in Potiphar's house. And then he gets thrown into prison, still in Egypt. And in 30, chapter 39 of Genesis, we see two different moments where it is marked and spoken that Joseph was a man of the Lord. Because Joseph didn't wait till he was in a position of influence to walk with the Lord. It was that he walked with the Lord and then he was blessed and promoted. Let's look at this. Genesis chapter 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. 
and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. Joseph was a slave. And yet the first thing we see in Genesis 39, verse 2, the Lord was with him. Priority matters. Just 18 chapters later, Joseph's now in prison. Genesis 39, verse 20. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. The place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, verse 21, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all that those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. And the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Joseph was not successful because of his competency. Joseph was successful because the Lord was with him. He was successful because of his relationship with the Lord. That's why in these verses, it starts, the Lord was with him. Not Joseph was highly competent. Not Joseph was very wise. Not Joseph had this unique skill set that enabled him to manage households and prisons and eventually Egypt. It is not any of that. It is that the Lord was with him. So the first key to having a focused family, whether it's your immediate family, your small group, your church, your work, whatever it is, the first key to having a focused family is to be focused on the Lord. So when we look at this, Psalm 34, 5, it's one of the verses this church was named after. Those who look to him are radiant. Not we're radiant, so we look to him. It's those who look to him are radiant. And then Hebrews 12, 2 says, let us look Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So we got to fix our eyes. We got to fix our focus. So in your relationship with the Lord, as we're walking with the Lord, we've got to be able to fix our focus and say, here's here's very specific details. Here's, Here's who I want to become in the Lord. Here's what I want my relationship with the Lord to look like. I want to be passionate. I want to be vibrant. I want to be mature reading in Christ. I want to not just know about the Bible. I want to know my Bible. I want to have verses memorized. What is it? What are the the specific things in your life that you're going, this is what I want my relationship with the Lord to look like. So I'm going to look. I'm going to hone in very specifically. And then I'm going to look broadly and go, okay, how do I get there? Let's look at the terrain. Where am I currently at? What are my current surroundings? Okay, I need to take about five steps forward and then I need to move to the right and then I need to go this direction. Okay, here we, and you can actually start looking at your calendar. You start looking broadly. Okay, here is my focal point. Now I'm gonna look broadly to determine how do I accomplish that focal point? How do I get there? Devotional life, walking with Jesus, spending time with him very intently, very focused. Walking through life, my eyes are wide open. My aperture is open. I'm able to, to take in information. My mind's able to react to current stimuli that are coming my way, the different things that I don't see. Do you know when a bug flies in your eye, you don't even, your brain doesn't even have time to think. It reacts so quickly because your aperture is open. When you're going on a run, has anyone had a bug fly into their face, into their eye? You didn't stop and think, I need to blink because there is a gnat flying my direction. No, no, no. You're able to react so quickly, your eyes just shut. Broaden your field of view. 
okay, I'm at work. I, I want to be, I want to walk with the Lord. I want to do this. I want to walk with integrity. At work, an obstacle comes your way. You're able to mitigate around it much faster than if you're only just focused intently. Joseph's relation with God enabled him to not only walk with God, but enabled him to maintain his freedom in the midst of slavery and imprisonment. And every family, look, every family, someone has to be a first mover. So when you look at the life of Jacob and then you look at the life of Joseph, you see really these two like polar opposites in how they live their life. You see, Jacob was kind of a swindler. His, his name literally means deceiver. So you see this thread of deception all the way through Jacob's life. You see it when he's trying to marry Rachel. You see it with Laban. You see all these different scenarios. You see it when his, him and his brother and his birthright, he, he trades it for a pot of stew. And the end of his father's life, right when Isaac was about to die, he wanted to bless Esau, his son. Jacob, kind of shady, steals the blessing. Jacob takes his brother's coat. He takes a goat, kills it, prepares it, and he lies to his father. So Jacob took a coat, a goat, and a lie to obtain the blessing. That's in Genesis 27. Ten chapters later, in Genesis 37, Jacob's brother steal his coat, they kill a goat, and they lie to his father. What Jacob sowed, Joseph had to reap. There is freedom that we need to walk in from the generational things that we see coming down our lines. And then the older we get, the older you get, the more you're able to identify those patterns of behavior that are coming down your line. So maybe it's alcoholism. Maybe it's drug abuse. Maybe it's adultery. Maybe it's poor financial stewardship, um, absentee parents. There are, there are anger. There are all kinds of issues that maybe when you're walking through life, you can look and go, I see the trends coming down my family lines. But just because they're coming down your family line does not mean you have to walk in them. Joseph was imprisoned as a slave and he was in pr literal prison. And yet I would argue that he was walking in freedom with the Lord. Because his freedom wasn't tied to his circumstances. Freedom was tied to his relationship with the Lord. So as we're walking through this, and you've got to have a vision to break down some of these generational patterns and besetting sins, these things that are coming through your family lines. Look, you've got them, I've got them, and if we don't identify them, if we don't have a vision that says, I'm going to move away from those generational pathways, and I'm going to have a vision, I'm going to fix my focus so that I can walk in freedom our tendency will be to fall into the trap and just be another generation that's marked by that thing. My, your, my, our pursuit of freedom is not so that we can leverage our freedom on things that'll end up making us bound, but leveraging our freedom to beget more freedom. So in your family, when you look through those lines and you're, when you see those environments and those areas that you're like, man, this is coming my way. I can see it. I can identify those patterns of sin, the coats, the goats, and the lies of my, of my family. Then all of a sudden, I've got to be willing to move and go through that so that my, the next generation, whether it's your children or the people in your small group, the people you're discipling, can actually walk in more freedom than what you've done because you've leveraged your freedom in Christ to gain more freedom in Christ.
And it's the spiritual maturity. It's that process. Through Christ, I've experienced freedom. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead a small group to help other people experience freedom. I've fought a battle and have been able to become victorious through Christ over X, Y, Z thing. So now I'm not just going to sit back and relax and say, congratulations, me. No, no, no. I'm going to leverage the freedom that I found in Christ to lead a small group to help other people find freedom in Christ. My freedom is going to beget more freedom. When you walk with the Lord and you're trying to, you're establishing freedom, it takes focus. Look, sometimes it's painful, but you have to look acutely. You have to look focused. You have to dial this in and be very specific. What are the things that I see in my family that I am not going to walk in, that I'm intentionally going to walk in freedom in? What are those things that just derail people in my family consistently? Okay, I've, I've focused in on it and I've identified, okay, I've identified now, here's my plan, I'm gonna walk broadly and I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure that I don't trip on this. For freedom's sake, Christ has set us free. It's important for us to be able to not just have a vision to walk in freedom, but to actually look broadly and go, Okay, here's how I'm going to navigate life to get to freedom. Because when you do that, when the Lord is with you and you, you, I'm walking through life, I'm going to maintain my freedom. We're able to see it. And we're able to see purpose in it. At the end of Joseph's story in Genesis chapter 50, look at his response. His brothers are, are honestly, at this point, they're still lying to him. But he looks at them and he says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he says, you intended to harm me. The honesty of that moment. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph, you meant to harm me, but the freedom I have in Christ is now being leveraged it's intended. What's now being done is for the saving of many. When we find freedom, when we're able to walk in freedom, it enables us to fulfill our purpose. So what vision do you have to walk in purpose? See, when the life of Joseph, we see that his integrity, his purpose wasn't based on a position, but his position was based on his integrity. His integrity never wavered. When you look all through the Genesis account, the integrity of Joseph did not waver, no matter what scenario he found himself as, and even as a young man. And look, in Genesis chapter 37, verse 14, Jacob, his father, sends Joseph, one of the youngest children, the second youngest children, sends Joseph, hey, go check on your brothers, see what they're doing, bring me a report. Jacob trusted the integrity of Joseph to give him an honest report of what his brothers were doing. That's part of why his brothers hated him because Joseph didn't lie for them. They were mad because Joseph was telling their dad, here's what they're doing. 
So Joseph had integrity as a young man and was committed to walking in it. Joseph gets sold into slavery. He lives in Potiphar's house. He has a moment, an opportunity for his integrity to waver for him to cut a corner, for him to take an easy route, convenience, obstacle arises. And he says, no, I'm not, I'm not allowing my integrity to be diminished. I'm going to walk in purity. I'm going to walk in integrity. I'm not going to cut a corner. And because of that, he gets thrown into prison. And what does he do when he's in prison? He's still walking with the Lord. He's still walking in freedom and he's still walking in his purpose. The warden put every single person under his charge. If Joseph couldn't have been trusted in the small decisions, he wouldn't have been trusted in the large ones. We don't fall into integrity. We don't wake up and just say, I'm magically the most integrous person you'll ever meet. No, no, no. It's an intentional decision. It's an intentional decision to not base life, not base your choices in life solely on the, the objective outcome. Here's what I mean by that. William Ward said this. He said, judge each day, not by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds you plant. Joseph experienced the pain of this firsthand. He reaped seeds he didn't sow. And yet he was committed to sowing good seeds, seeds of integrity, seeds of purity, seeds of consecration, seeds of faithfulness, seeds of commitment, seeds of, of doing the right thing, even when no one is looking. Where would you be if you made different decisions? Do we allow a short-term emotion to dictate the decisions we make? A short-term convenience factor? Or do we allow our convictions to determine decisions we make. But you got to look, you have to look intently. What are my, what are, what are my convictions? Who has God created me to be? What are the gifts? What are the talents? What are the natural abilities that God has placed inside of me, inside of you? What are those? Let me, I'm going to find out what those are and I'm going to walk in them. Those convictions are going to be there. And then I'm going to look at a broad spectrum of my life, a broad view of my life and say, it doesn't matter what season I'm in or where I am at. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to be the same person, no matter my situational, my external situation, because who God has created me to be does not change. It doesn't matter where you find yourself in life. You have a destiny in Christ Jesus that he is forming you, that he has created you, that he is calling you to walk in. And every sphere of your life is waiting to benefit on you to walk in that wholeheartedly. There's a purpose there. And when you look at Joseph's life, it, it just seems like there's at least on some level this natural awareness of the things he's gifted in. I mean, just when you look at the Bible accounts and we see what he was doing, he just seems like a very organized person, right? You can't go from managing your brothers to your older brothers, because if you've ever tried that, it doesn't work well, to managing Potiphar's household, to managing a prison and the prisoners, to managing the entire welfare of the Egyptian nation. We see those same gifts in each season that Joseph found himself in. We see him acting with wisdom. We see him leading people. 
We see discipline. It takes discipline to not to take not take the easy road, knowing that there are consequences. If especially like in Potiphar's house, he he had a moment to to be an undisciplined, unintegrous person with Potiphar's wife, and he chose not to at his own peril. You don't fall into those moments. Joseph was activating the gifts of God on his life. And when we do that, we're actually able to see that we're, have, we're able to have an impact that goes beyond our life. Joseph was able to have impact that saved not just one, but two nations that we know of. If this regional famine was this bad and then the Israelites went to Egypt to get food. Who knows what the surrounding countries were like? So we know factually he saved Egypt and he saved the nation of Israel from starving to death. Who knows what else he did? But it took vision. He had the dream, but this wasn't the fulfillment of the dream he had originally with his brothers or his parents bowing down to him. He took someone else's dream and said, I'm going to serve this other dream. The Pharaoh has had a dream of these sheaves of corn being skinny and sickly and eating the healthy ones and then these skinny cows eating the healthy ones. He's helping somebody else's vision, their dream, be fulfilled. He said, hey, I can help you with your dream even though mine hasn't come true yet. What would your life look like if, hey, I've, I've got a dream from the Lord and I'm walking acutely. I'm walking. My, my focus is fixed on Christ. But as I'm walking there, I have an opportunity to help somebody else's dream. I have an opportunity to serve somebody else and, and help them fulfill the call of God on their life. What would your life look like? What would their life look like? So often, I think we walk around like this with this, this fixation, this target fixation, this is, and we walk right past people that we're meant to encounter. And we're meant to have an impact on their destiny. To save people, to see people come to know Jesus, to, to prov literally provide in different ways for them. But it's because we're, we're fixed here. Joseph had the fixed, he had the fixed focus. And yet he was still able to walk and look broadly as he walked through life. It requires discipline to do that. Because it feels like you're giving up something to help somebody else. But in reality, that's part of the journey to fulfilling this vision. Is to help people as you walk through and you get to there. It's amazing. You know what happens when you don't have vision? You just get lost. You know, there's always that. I thought, it, honestly, I thought it was a wives' tale, um, an old wives' tale that people who are lost in the woods walk in circles. So I did a bunch of research just to verify, and it's actually true. If you don't have, um, if you don't know where you're going, you're walking around in the woods, you literally, you walk in these big circles, concentric circles, based if you're right-handed or left-handed, it depends on, that's the direction of the circle that you'll walk in. But you literally will walk in gigantic circles. So you'll feel like you're taking a bunch of ground. You'll feel like there's a bunch of progress, a bunch of motion. But because you haven't oriented, you haven't fixed your focus on where you're going, 
You just walk around lost. Joseph had the discipline in every season of his life to walk with focused intentionality. He lived a focused life. And because of that focus, generations are impacted. I love the way the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. I just love the honesty of this verse. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. And everyone who wakes up early says amen. <laughs> but painful. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. No discipline feels fun, but you should do it anyway. No discipline is pleasant, but you should still do it because it's going to produce a harvest. Joseph walking through life, with discipline, integrity, walking with the Lord, the Lord being with him, walking in purpose and freedom. Listen, there's nothing about Joseph's life in the first 23 chapters that we get that seems pleasant. And yet, it produced a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who had been trained by it. So how do we take this away? How do we, how do we go, Nathan, okay, I want, I want to do this. And you're talking about having a fixed focus, a very narrow vision, very specific vision points. And yet, how do I walk broadly through life like this? We've got 12 points. I'll go quickly, I promise. And here's the deal. Here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to be overwhelmed by these 12, okay? These are just 12 aspects of your life. And if you're, my challenge to you, my encouragement to you, will be to take some time. Maybe Monday morning, maybe a, a quiet time. Maybe you do it once a month. Maybe you do it once a quarter. And look at these 12 items and just give yourself an honest score. Listen, the hardest person you'll ever have to lead is yourself. So I just want to encourage you, be honest. And give yourself just like a one to 10 score. Don't make the math hard and don't grade on a curve. Like just, just a one to 10 score. Here they are. Your faith life. How is your relationship with Jesus? How is it? Not how's your performance. Not how is are the box getting checked. How is your relationship with Jesus? How is your marriage, your marriage life? This only helps us if we're honest. How is your marriage? How is your family life? That next, that next concentric circle. How is your work life? Listen, we spend between 40 and 60 hours a week working. How's your work life? Is it too much? Not enough? Are you representing Christ well? How's your work life? How's your digital life? Here's what I mean by that. How is your relationship with your phone? Is it the first thing you grab for in the morning? Is it the last thing you, you look at before you go to bed? 
How's your heart when the, the light count goes up on a photo or a post? And how is it when it drops dramatically and no one responds? How's your digital life? How's your ministry life? When you're serving other people, are you? How's your financial life? Are you spending less than you make? Do you have a budget? How's your financial life going? How's your social life? Your friendships? You know, I've heard it said one of the Jesus's greatest miracles is having 12 close friends in his 30s. How are your friendships? Do you have, do you have real friends that are honest with you and you're honest with them and you, you let your guard down with? That's why we do small groups. The people in my small group have become some of my dearest friends in this world and I'm able to let my guard down. How are your friendships? What about your attitudes? What's your approach to life? How's your, how's your heart in that? How's your attitude? Your creative life. And you're like, I'm not creative. Okay, hold on. What about your dreams for the future? How's that? Without vision, people perish. So how, it doesn't matter how old you are. If you're 17 or you're 77, what's the vision for your life? Where, where are you going in that? Your mental life. Where do your thoughts tend to drift to? You know, how, how, how are things in your mind? What are your thoughts like? What's your thought life like? Do you see any patterns, healthy or unhealthy? And then what about your physical life? Listen, my dream is to be healthy enough to fulfill all that God has for me in life. I don't, just personally, I don't want my physical health to be the limiting factor in what God can do in me. And I mean, I want Rachel to look at me and say, what a guy. But I like, what a burger. So I gotta like, I gotta fix my focus. Like, and just give yourself, when you look at these, just give yourself a score one to 10 and each one of them. And here's my encouragement. Don't try to fix everything at once. You'll get overwhelmed. Just pick the lowest score and try to make that one thing better. And then a couple months go, down, go by the road, do it again, and then what's your new lowest score? And make that one better. And as we commit to, to growing and fixing our focus and having very specific vision, watch as your life gets better in Christ. Watch how you take ground and you're able to minister to people and walk in freedom and in purpose and in destiny. Because when you look at the life of Joseph, we see toward the very, very end in Genesis chapter 49, Jacob is about to die and he's blessing his sons. He's praying a blessing over the 12 sons. And he says this about Joseph, but his bow remained steady. His strong arm stayed limber because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because the shepherd, the rock of Israel, through all of Joseph's life, he never lost his focus. When you think about it, you're, you're, you're aiming a bow, you're aiming, you're looking through a scope, you're doing these things. What are you doing? You're fixing your focus. And, and Joseph saying, even though I'm, his arm remains strong, what's that mean? It means he was fixed on the target his entire life. He remained steady and strong in walking through this life. That's what happens when you aim. You fix your eyes on the target. You're able to take ground for the kingdom of God. 
You're able to personally grow. You're able to impact other people because the fruit of your life. Would you stand with me? Some of us, you know, I talked about the story of people getting lost in the woods and so often that happens to us. Maybe we're not actually walking through woods. We're not, there's not trees and all these things, but we're walking through life without an orientation point. We're walking through life without that fixed target to, to focus on. And we're walking through and we're just meandering and we're, we feel like we're, there's all this motion, but there's no progress. I said it earlier, but Hebrews chapter 12 says this. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus because he's the author and perfecter of our faith. So if we could, with every head bowed, every eyes, eye closed, I just want to ask you a very simple question. Are you wandering through life without Jesus as your guide? Without your eyes fixed on Jesus? If you've never crossed the line of faith to say, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus because he is the author of my faith. He is the beginner. He is the one who's going to start this in me. And you want to say yes to Jesus today and you want to begin a relationship with him. You want to cross that line of faith and say, I'm, I'm fixing my eyes on you. If that's you, just right where you're at. I just want you to raise your hand. If you're online as well, just right where you're at, just raise your hand. Amen. Amen. So if you, if you raised your hand, I want to lead you in this prayer. My encouragement is for you to make this prayer your own. Make these wor my words your words. Let's pray. Jesus, save me. I don't want to lead my own life anymore. I want to fix my eyes on you. So save me. I believe that you died on a cross and you rose again. Now you're king over all. So come live in my heart as I follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Radiant Church, can we put our hands together for every single person who prayed that prayer? Amen. Amen. The Bible says you literally, you joined the family of faith. You just made the best decision you'll ever make in your entire life. Amen. Can we have a, go ahead and have our prayer team come down front? And I want to take a moment. I just want to pray for each one of you. So if you're in this room and you go, I just need to fix my focus. I love Jesus, but I, I've been drifting. I've been just kind of wandering through life and I just need to take a moment and focus in on Jesus and focus in on my relationship with him, my freedom, my purpose, and how I can serve others. I just need to, I need to reorient that. I need to, I need to get this part of my life squared away. If that's you, just right where you're at, I just want, I want to take a moment and pray for you. Could you just raise your hand for me? Amen. 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 Jesus, 
I thank you for my friends. God, I pray that as we follow you, our eyes will be fixed on you, Jesus. Your Holy Spirit would speak clearly to us. That our hearts would be uncluttered and unchaotic so we can hear the voice of your Holy Spirit clearly. God, I pray that you would help us have a very specific, very narrow focus and a very wide focus for our lives. Jesus, we love you. All of Rainy Church said amen. 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 Yeah, we're going to take just a moment. We're going to worship together and uh, pray together. If you'd like prayer, we'd like to invite you to come forward. I want to take just a moment and pray for our offering as well. Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you're doing in our church, and we thank you for this word. We thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity, Lord, in this last season really to focus in on what it means to be the family of God and to learn ways and practices to use those ideas in our own families. Father, we pray, Lord Jesus, that this word would go deep into our hearts. Let us sow seeds into our children that will have a harvest for generations. Take what we give now, Lord. Use it. God, we want to see Kansas City touched. We wanna see a great harvest of souls in Kansas City. Father, we ask that you would use this church to make a measurable impact in some of the darkest places around the world that have never heard the good news of the gospel. Father, we pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be a generous people. We pray that the next generation, Lord God, would know God from the days of their youth because we were intentional with our families. We love you. We give cheerfully. In Jesus' name.